0: Welcome to the Ask CHR Podcast. Our special guest this episode is Dr. Tony Gelsma, a professor of biology at Dort University in Sioux Center, Iowa. On October 6, 2022, Dr. Gelsma spoke to the JBU community to share a Christian biologist's perspective on gender dysphoria. In this episode, CHR Executive Director Rosemary Flayton continues the conversation with Dr. Gelsma about the topic of gender dysphoria what piqued his interest in the topic, and what he thinks underlays a Christian response to individuals living with gender dysphoria. Comments made by Dr. Jelsma are his views and might not be representative of John Brown University or the Center for Healthy Relationships.
1: Well, Dr. Jelzma, thank you for being with us today. And with your credentials as a biologist, you know, it's obvious that you're primary approach to this topic is scientific
2: Correct. Uh,
1: and thank you for so aptly instructing us um, in that discussion that we need to include our biology. This is, this is a topic that goes beyond the realm of, the, of sociology and psychology. It is, it's an integrated topic. So before we start, can you give us what the definition of gender dysphoria is that you are using, in, will be using in this discussion? Give us a framework for that.
2: Sure. Um, as I looked into the field, uh, the the term gender dysphoria has actually changed somewhat, because it used to be that any incongruence between someone's biological sex and their perceived gender um, was viewed as gender dysphoria. Now that's not the case uh, for everyone. Some people have an incongruence and they're okay with that. I haven't really talked any about uh, gender or gender fluid or. Um, try to think of the, of the name, uh, non-binary people, right? And um, they often don't experience any kind of distress. It's just that's the way they are. So it's, it's, when I'm talking about gender dysphoria, we're really talking about the distress that people feel that they don't want this, they never asked for this, but they're suffering because their, body, their brain is telling them that they are the opposite sex uh, from what their biology tells them.
1: So you've this distress. It is, is at play in their life. It's affecting everything that they are doing. Um, they can't escape yes. it.
2: They can't escape it. Um, it can ebb and flow, and sometimes it can be a whole lot worse. And and sometimes. Um, it just builds up till they have to do something and and many people um, they'll just have another set of clothes and then in private they'll cross-dress for a little while and that will relieve the tension and allow them to continue um, but in many cases it just keeps on getting worse and worse mm-hmm. um, especially when we have the early onset people and they, and they enter into puberty uh, then their brain is changing and, and then the stress and distress becomes a whole lot worse
1: Okay, So you mentioned early onset Tell us what you mean by that and how that would differ from uh, late onset. Right.
2: Uh, The early onset gender dysphoria, um, these are children who all their life, they insist that they are the opposite of their biological sex. And, you know, when they're really young, you don't really pay much attention to that. Uh, but as they get older and older, it, it becomes insistent, consistent, and persistent. Mm. And then they really have uh, that situation. Um, late onset, it's, that occurs when there's no indication before puberty mm. that there's anything amiss. And it's really when they hit adolescence, then all of a sudden, um, it could be all of a sudden, or it could be a gradual thing, that, uh, that, that the condition arises
1: and what what's the what's the biological explanation for some of that or sure. or at least yeah. an attempted at explanation right.
2: so as a biologist i uh, attack the problem in the way the only way i know which is to look at the biology and so when i look at the early onset uh, gender dysphoria what it seems is it's a hormonal imbalance between testosterone and estrogen um, before birth and so the, the body may develop in one way the brain will either become masculine or feminine later on in gestation and if there's a hormonal imbalance for a variety of reasons, these it could be genetic mutations or environmental exposures or things like that um, the brain may develop in a different way to a different gender than um, than the body would and so then these people would always have that incongruence and then as they grow up as children and get a little bit older that just continues on. So.
1: And then at, at late on so that there that really is a truly um, biological explanation for why someone may be experiencing this for the early for onset. the early onset right. Yes. yes. Um, and now com- Contrast that to what's late onset and what might be happening physiologically or biologically at that point.
2: So it's still biology, (laughs) but it may be a different type of biology. And so what in in the research that I've done, it, it seems that the connection between our mind and our bodies, that develops over time, especially during puberty and during adolescence. And... If there's if that connection doesn't develop as strongly, now there's there's a cultural impact on that as well. Um, you know physically what your sex is, so then you you kind of your brain kind of goes in that direction as well. Um, but if there's, something goes awry with that, and that some of the examples I gave are depression, anxiety, uh, lots of stress, or um, social isolation, and all those sorts of things then our brain may de- that connection between the brain and our body mind body connection doesn't develop as well and you can be more susceptible to influences that might say well maybe you are trans because you've got all these mm. these issues and that might be your explanation
1: mm. hmm. which in some ways is is contrary, or the flip side of what we often hear, that it must be the environmental factors when children are very young that influence it versus, you know, it's, if I was this way, it's going to come out at, at puberty. And I think what I hear you saying is if it's a hormonal, it it may be there from the very beginning where there could be stronger influences. Correct.
2: Yes, I, I think, yes, the hormonal imbalance really as it it relates to the early onset. Um, That does make more sense to me. Now, I have to qualify everything I say because you can't do scientific studies on these. So you just kind of look retroactively at, well, what did this person have? And I I mentioned Greg Eilers uh, last night, and and he doesn't have proof for that, but he believes that his mother took a synthetic estrogen Mm -hmm. to prevent miscarriage before he was born. And that could have rewired his brain in in such a way that he had this gender dysphoria. Now, he wasn't always aware of it, but he was always somewhat uncomfortable. Mm. And the older he got, the more intense that got. And so um, it may be that there is a hormonal component to the late onset as well, but... um, I, th- I think most of the late onset that we have right now is, is really of a different character in terms of the mind-body connection, mm-hmm. not developing more.
1: So I mean that, that really leads into this, the developing sense of self yeah. that happens, yep. uh, well it happens right from the beginning of, you know, from the time we're born, but well, how does that impact the way people live this out or, and the, the struggle that they may, mm-hmm. they may be experiencing?
2: Well, when you look at brain development, you have, this is oversimplification, but you you have your cerebral cortex, which is the thinking part of the brain, the outside that we see see in pictures. Um, But underneath, we've got these structures as well. And those earlier, those subcortical structures, they develop earlier and they mature earlier. And they're involved in often kind of reflex, or responsive reactions or emotional reactions and things like that. But the ability to think and process through things, especially emotional challenges, that takes a while. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and our, our brains aren't fully mature until the early 20s or so. And so as these children are entering puberty with all the challenges that that mm-hmm. faces, especially in today's culture, um, their ability to, re, to develop their mind-body connection under those circumstances may be impaired, and especially if we have a culture that says, oh, if you've got an issue, you may be trans, they're Mm -hmm. going to be much more susceptible to that, and they won't have the brain power, in a sense, to process this through and say, no, that's not really what's happening. Mm -hmm. So in a supportive environment, um, things would normally develop so that the brain and the body are the same sex. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in, in today's culture, we've got stressed people, and especially people who may be socially isolated already. Now, that has always been the case. We've always mm-hmm. got people who didn't really fit in, but now they actually have some kind of external influence, social media, um, and that says, oh, if you don't fit in, well, let's, let's give a pathology to it, and therefore you've got an answer to your problem. Mm-hmm but it may be the wrong answer.
1: Mm-hmm. Hmm. Um, I'm reminded of what Jean Vanier says, that men and women were created to be mirrors to each other, informing a discovery of him or herself in relationship to the other. What do you think of that, And you know, in terms of the mirrors that we, and how that informs our, our sense of self, and our sense of sex, even?
2: I hadn't heard that quote, um, but I am... A complementarian, and I think Scripture really is complementarian. Um, we've we've got a binary between male and female that started at creation, and and it continues. And as we look, uh, marriage or even sexual unity is present throughout Scripture. Um, but we see that all through Scripture, and and even um, the relationship between the Church and Christ is a marriage, mm-hmm. and forsaking that is uh, is adultery and so that we see throughout scripture um, that that pattern and we are different it's not that we're not equal in the sight of God we we are different and um, and often we don't know the other that well so we we need to learn Um, this doesn't mean you can't be a whole person if you're not married Mm -hmm. right so I have to be be careful with that um, but still, that, that sort of binary, I think, is, is present in Scripture.
1: Yeah, and, and the, the, the way that we live out what it means to be a man or a woman mm. um, has really, in many ways, has become very small, very boxed. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, if, you, if a woman does this, this, and this, and a man yeah. does this, this, and this, and if you don't, you don't fit that, then somehow, well, God must have made me the wrong. It's like God gets right. blamed for that when really the constraint has been placed on us by society, by our yeah. families, even by the church, by the in church. terms of where what that looks like. I remember reading a, a story of a, a transgender male named Kieran that born as a girl and uh, transitioned to a male and self-described as a tomboy. So, mm-hmm. I'm quoting quoting her, a tomboy who hated wearing dresses preferred hunting in the woods over shopping at the mall. My whole life, I felt like I was in the wrong body." And as I read it, I was plagued by this larger question of, does a girl have to wear dresses and enjoy shopping in order to be female? Uh, or can a female go hunting and still be female? Yeah. And to me, the answer is a resounding yes, and I'm living proof of it. So. Because I'm a girl, I, and I was growing up on a farm, uh, I loved hunting gophers. I had a trap line. At the age of 13, I won the turkey shoot at the local, you know, okay. thanks all these macho farmers that I beat out. And then I took it home and I helped, you know, cook the 20-pound prize. <laughs> and I'm a female. and But I didn't fit in those boxes. Right, right. And s- th- how do you think that... Um, to what extent does our socialization and our biology either work together or against us in, mm-hmm. in, this under, in our understanding of, of gender and gender dysphoria?
2: Well, one distinction that we need to make clear is if we're talking about gender dysphoria or gender, we're talking about our internal perception of who we are, whether we are male or female. What we do externally in terms of our behaviors and attractions, the things that that is not the same as gender. And you're right, uh, our culture and even our church often tells us this is how a man should behave and this is how a woman should behave. And uh, I think I mentioned last night, if you read Proverbs 31 and you change the pronouns, you know, this is, this is the good wife, and you change, she's a businesswoman, right? And she does all these things. Now, are there differences between men and women in terms of, of physical strength? Sure. Um, and how much that should direct uh, what they do, that may have an influence in terms of what you're good at and what you're not good at. But I think we have to be really careful to go beyond what scripture says in terms of what mm. men and women should be doing. Um, but that's entirely different from gender dysphoria, right. but also it may be confused as such. Yeah. right? Yeah. So these, so that case that you mentioned, if she was a tomboy, she liked to do these things, and then since she didn't fit in with what most other girls did, then she thought she could, wasn't a girl. No, that's not the case at all. Right. And so, if, if people have different interests and stuff, I don't have a problem yeah. with that. Yeah. But they could be isolated and, and right. bullied as a result. Yeah. And so we have to be really careful to to affirm different interests in, in, the, in the part of yeah. people.
1: Yeah. While also affirming the the body, the the biology of the sure. person while also understanding there could be a lot going on other than just the physical form that we see that is that is sure. impacting all of right. this.
2: Right, and estrogen and testosterone, they do affect the brain and mm. how we think as well. And It's interesting that when people do go on hormones to transition, they do think differently. Mm. It, it affects them somewhat as well. Um, but that, again, is not the same as your internal sense of gender.
1: Right, yes. Yeah.
2: It's how you act, and you might become more soft or more aggressive if you're taking testosterone. Which curiously is so, people who might start this transition process and they start on the hormone treatment and they feel different and they think, Oh, this I am on the right track because I feel I'm much different and whatever. But that's that may not be the case. But I think I'm running ahead of myself. No, okay. <laughs> oh,
1: that's fine, that's good. You know, you bring you, you, you have brought us your your biological study, your knowledge, your experience there. Um, what co- was it just a scientific interest that brought you to this? Or was, was, what do you bring to this in terms of a personal connection?
2: Well, I hadn't intended to, to deal with this, but it was, I guess, 12 years ago now that I was going through a divorce, and my youngest child, um, who didn't tell me about it at the time, uh, was starting to transition in terms of cross-dressing in private and things like that. And it wasn't until a few years later um, that I was, I was told about it because the child didn't tell me about it uh, for fear. And, um, and when I became aware of, of what was really going on, I dealt with it first very badly, Um, I said well you can't be presenting as a woman if you're going to be in this house so that didn't help Um, but also um, professionally it's like I'm a biologist, I'm a trained biologist, I'm interested in the brain, I'm interested in in how my faith interacts with with my biology and I felt I, I have to work at this in the only way I can to try to get some kind of understanding because there are so many assumptions that are going on and there's nobody actually checking to see what is really going on with biology. So um, I studied a fair bit, I gave a presentation I guess last summer, in the summer of 21, uh, for the American Scientific Affiliation and uh, the editor of the journal Perspectives on Science and Christian Faith reached out to me and said would you be willing to write an article on this and actually be kind of a guest editor for a theme issue on this topic. And I said, sure, (laughs) I don't mind. (laughs) Uh, I reached out to a number of people, and nobody was really willing to Mm -hmm. deal with the biology. So the people I I approached, they said, well, I I wrote a kind of preliminary paper. And they said, well, there's really nothing I can add beyond that. And so in the end, uh, I was the only one who wrote that article. And the article turned out to be pretty big. (laughs) It was was a lot of work. Um, But it seems like nobody wants to touch it. And I'm in, thankfully, I teach at a Christian institution where I have full support of my administration who know very well what I'm doing uh, and, and support me in, in terms of academic freedom, really, mm-hmm. um, from a biblical perspective. Um, but it seems like most other people, nobody else either has the expertise to do it or, or the time or the willingness mm-hmm. to do that. So maybe like Esther, I've been placed here f- for a situation like here, and, and I'm obliged to to work on it. And where it's going to go, I'm not sure. What I would like to do is, is interact more with philosophers, theologians, developmental psychologists, and, and to strengthen the arguments that I've, I've got. But uh, I'm not sure where it's going to go, but that's how I got into it in the first place. Uh, kicking and screaming, I guess.
1: Well, I think what you're, you are uh, modeling for us is an integration of heart. Mind, soul, and body, and that's how we're we've been commanded, mm-hmm. as the first commandment to love God yeah. is to bring yeah. all of them together. Right, and I think on this topic, um, perhaps theology was slow to the table, but even slower was probably the in the, the biology to bring it together from yes. a Christian perspective.
2: Right. So, so how do we do with this from a yeah. Christian perspective? And it's. And I think people who might be interested in looking into this, or even just interested in this topic, you should know that you know I changed my view on it,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and and I think it's it's more accurate or more faithful to Scripture and more faithful to mm-hmm. biology because that's what I'm called to do—to be faithful to both. And um, but my views on it did change, but I think it's it's a more informed position mm-hmm. now, um, and that I think still gives honor to Scripture. And uh, and also, I think if I'm going to reach out to people, then um, I need to understand what I, I need to know what I'm talking about and uh, work with them on that basis.
1: And I think we also need to um, seek to have people with the struggle or with the experience part of our lives, uh, having bring this back to this is real people. This isn't right. just. You know phenomena out there some cultural thing these are real people yep. who are created in the image of God who we are called to love yep. love God and love our neighbor right. um, yes you know, the Center for Healthy Relationships is about giving people the tools the resources to develop healthy relationships and this topic it is fraught with landmines um, mm-hmm. you know when they can blow up relationships yeah absolutely. You know, I've yeah spent enough time with individuals, parents, siblings. This is very painful. I remember talking to a dad who, as he shared, tears streaming down his cheeks, describing the incredible pain he experienced as a parent the day that his daughter, who was transitioning, uh, had a hysterectomy. Mm-hmm. And was mourning the child, the grandchildren that he would never have, biological grandchildren, anyways. Right. Yeah. Um, or the the student, same experience, who was transitioning, who had been disowned by their family, and yeah. it's there's just there's there's a lot of of pain there. But you, I think you're helping us have this integrated perspective on that, and thank yeah. you for that.
2: I, I think you really need to talk to the people who are experiencing this, to, to really get to know them. And Greg Eilers, who I mentioned, um, he's got a whole book out, um, you know, I think it was a tornado or it was a roller coaster through a hurricane, right. his, his autobiography, right? Um, but he and I email back and forth regularly and I asked him very pointed questions yeah. uh, about how you feel and I wanted to make sure that, that I knew what I was talking about even though I didn't experience it, the, the dysphoria myself. Right and and so you if you're going to interact with someone you really need to get to know them to understand and we often come with you know conclusions before we've even start, arranged, uh, started the topic and, and we can't do that
1: yeah. so what what um, suggestions would you have both from studying this topic and living it um, what have you learned about doing relationships I think
2: I think first you you need to love someone unconditionally because everyone is created in the image of God and needs our love and care and concern. Regardless of whether we agree with them or disagree with them, we we need to love them and show that we love them unconditionally. Um, a question was made, well, what do we do about pronouns when they want us to use certain pronouns and we disagree with them? and it, if for the sake of loving someone you need to respect them and use the pronouns that they want even if you disagree so yeah you you need to get to know the person everyone is different everyone has different battles that they're fighting Um, they could be in addition to the dysphoria there's depression anxiety uh, autism I didn't mention uh, but a lot of people with gender dysphoria are autistic and I think that relates to the the mind-body connection uh, so you need to get to know them mm-hmm. and and if you're not in a relationship of trust with them um, You're not going to be able to to help them. Um, the other thing is um, Mark Yarhouse and Julia Sadusky wrote a really excellent book on you know on Really for counselors who are dealing with this situation and and they make the point that you should in your counseling you should be able to allow things to go where they're going to go even if it ends up that these people do continue to transition to the other sex um, you should not have an agenda you should actually listen to them see what their condition is and uh, because if you start pushing them in one direction or the other um, you're never going to get anywhere Mm -hmm. and if, if things go in a direction that you don't like Um, that's that's not your choice and that's not your decision Mm -hmm. so really in the name of loving people uh, understand who they are get to know who they are and and become someone that they can trust and and reach out to when there are problems
1: yeah I I think about the visual of building a relational bridge that's strong enough to hold the the uh, the weight of truth no, and that's a good engineering principle, right? Whatever, whatever is going to be sure. traveling over that bridge, create it. That's you know, this is this is yeah. a heavy weight. Yeah. Uh, so it's going to take a lot of building relationship to, um, to have a place where you can be trusted. Yeah. To yeah. walk alongside and to. Um,
2: and they will have lots of questions as well. As so why did God do this yeah. to me? Yeah. And, and you may not have good answers and say, I'm struggling as well. I mean, the book of Job was written for a very good reason. Yeah. And God didn't give him an answer at the end. But it's just, I'm God and you're not. And sometimes you just need to accept that's what it is. We live in a broken world. I mean, we are created beautifully, but we also live in a fallen world. Yeah. And that fall has consequences. And and sometimes we we live in an attention that we just cannot resolve. Right.
1: And it has it has, the the fall. You know, we live in that, or we were created in the Genesis one and two, as you just said. Mm-hmm. The fall in, has impacted everything, including mm-hmm. our biology, including yeah. the way that that comes about. Um, the The idea of sitting with someone. I remember the first uh, conversation that I had with a person transitioning. I was so scared. I was scared that they were going to ask me what, you know, what, I, what they, well, no more, not so much they were going to ask me, that, that they were going to be confrontational to me. And so I was, I was ready. Like I was ready to, you know, hammer them with versus, and it ended up being just a good conversation that then led to another conversation and another conversation. And I, I had to put down the hammer in order to really reach out in love and compassion. And that led to some beautiful conversations along the way of hearing this person's heart. Well, um, it's,
2: it's interesting because I had a conversation with my child's counselor who was not a, not a believer, and, and so they arranged. They said, well, why don't you go meet with this person? So I, I met with her, and, and she asked, well, why as a Christian do you believe why do you hold this position and which was really kind of the integrity position at the time and I didn't have an articulate mm. response Yeah. and so I need I realize I need to go back and I need to think this through and I just can't have a reactionary response yeah. I need to think through I might be able to respond better and, and this person she was much more gentle with me than I was with her mm. and um, then I realized oh I have a lot to learn on yeah. this not just biologically but also relationally
1: yeah Yeah. And so, you know, if we are feeling, oh, I don't know if I get to have this conversation with somebody or you, you you know, try to step out of conversations that might be happening. I think you've touched on a really good point. Dig into it. Like um, get to know what what is the research that's out there. Uh, in all the different fields, and, including
2: theologically. Right, and, and some people may not have the resources or may not have the, the training in that particular area. Well, then find someone you trust right. who has done that.
1: So who would you recommend? Who? What are some good authors for?
2: The, the best authors, I would say, are Mark Yarrowhouse and Julia Sedeski. They're both experienced Christian counselors. They've written several books on, on this topic. Um, especially as, as a guide. Um, read Greg Eilers, and he also has a website, um, kind of, it's, it's a blog really, but um, he describes a lot of these sorts of things. And so read people who have experience mm-hmm. with it and whose theological position you can trust and and that combination may help. So I would say, yeah, Mark Yarhouse and Julie Sadusky. Mark is at uh, Wheaton College mm-hmm. and Julie Sadusky, she's in uh, Colorado, she's part of a, a private counseling clinic and they work together okay. uh, considerably. May um, I, mean, I also add Preston Sprinkle? And Preston Sprinkle, I forgot yeah. about that, yes. And so he's he's got an organization based in Idaho, it's broader than just gender mm-hmm. dysphoria, it's the whole LGBTQ whatever else, and, and I really like his approach as well because he just befriends these people, yeah. and he talks to them, and then he has conversations with them, and, and even if he ultimately disagrees, um, still they're, they're talking to him, yeah. and, and I do appreciate his position. I may not agree with everything he says, but um, at least he's, he says, well, we, we have a scriptural integrity that we need to maintain. Right but we also have a broken world and people who are broken mm-hmm. and, and we need to minister to them because someone last night mentioned we've got churches who do really well with people who are LGBT and we have churches who are really good in terms of having the theological principles tied together there are not many that can actually mm-hmm. do both right. and and that's a really hard thing to do.
1: And I think in a lot of Christians, Christian the minds of, of Christians uh, who haven't necessarily they've just seen this from afar. They'll lump mm-hmm. LGBTQ, the whole you know, the number of, of uh, letters that are there, into one. But they're actually very different issues. And Absolutely. and I remember hearing this for the first time, it really cleared up things for me that sexual identity is who you go to bed with. Gender identity is who you go to bed as. Yes. yes. And yes. and just to keep that, be able to differentiate that yeah. even in our minds when you're we're talking to somebody. And yeah,
2: I think what happens in our culture that says you can be whatever sex you want, you can be whatever gender you want, gender is a social construct, which I strongly disagree with, um, they would like to lump everything together because it's all sexual variety, whether it's mm-hmm. your identity or your attraction to or whatever, um, but that isn't the case, and, and we're starting to see a rift between mm-hmm. the LGB and the T and Q and, and all that uh, as well. And so um, I'm not sure where that's going to go, mm-hmm. but um, they really are different things. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. indeed. Um, I want to thank you very much for, for coming and, and mm-hmm. sharing your expertise. In closing, I just want to say a, a few words to our, um, to our audience you know, this may have touched on some deep wounds in the reality of people's lives. This isn't an issue that's meant to be debated where we clobber each other with ideologies or worldviews or even scripture. What we've been talking about is real people, people like Dr. Jelma's son that has transitioned son, to a, a daughter, a daughter yeah. right? Your offspring. My offspring. That's, I say child. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, People who, for any number of reasons, um, are experiencing gender dysphoria, that distress. And this dysphoria is real. It's painful. It's earth-shattering for you and probably your family. You didn't ask for it. You didn't seek it out. You may be considering doing anything you can to change it. And I want you to know that God sees you. He loves you, He created you, and He knows you even more fully than you know yourself. He has plans for you, for good and not for harm, and He's not disappointed in you. Rather, He delights in you as His creation. You are precious and honored in His sight. He created you with intent, and He loves you. My prayer for you is that you will allow the truth of God's Word and His love for you to seep deep into your heart. And may his voice be the loudest voice that you hear in your life. I also pray that you'll con- you'll, that as you're wrestling through what it looks like, as you feel this deep incongruence, that you also hold on to faith. The wrestling of faith and gender and sexuality is very difficult. And it would be so much easier to just let go of faith and then try to reshape it to fit your own feelings. But keep going, press into knowing God more and be his disciple. As Augustine says, it is by knowing God that I know myself, and by knowing myself better I come to know God better. And so that's my fervent prayer for each of you, that you'll press on, not growing weary of the struggle, but pursuing God. And I also want to speak to those of us who have no idea what this experience is like to have gender dysphoria. The first thing we need is to acknowledge that we have no idea how hard this is and to do that with humility. As Christians, we need to repent of the simple and trite answers that we've given to some really tough questions. Sometimes given without any biblical backing and all too often given without compassion. Jesus was tough. He was tough on the religious elite. He was so full of kindness and gentleness, patience, faithfulness, and real love to those who were wounded, questioning, and downtrodden. And so may our responses, our interactions, be like Jesus. Thank you again for being here, for sharing your expertise, your story. And our prayer is that God will go ahead of you, open doors, he'll use this um, in a way to save his people, like you mentioned, Esther.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and my biggest concern is that people lose their faith because of how the church has responded to this yeah. question, and ultimately that's that's the biggest problem of all.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That, that was nicely said. Thank you. Thank you. For you.
1: That. Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode. The Ask CHR podcast is a service of John Brown University's Center for Healthy Relationships. Questions for the podcast can be submitted at liferelationships.com slash askchr or by emailing askchr at jbu.edu. If you're a JBU student and you'd like to talk with someone about an interpersonal relationship question, like finding peace with your roommate about the thermostat or telling your parents you want to change your major, Check out the Ask CHR page for more information about our solution-focused conversations. And thanks again for listening.